Welcome to the follow-up podcast. My name is Hayden. I am the worship director here at Arbor Church, and today I'm joined by Allison Oconee, our community care pastor, and Ryan Plants, our lead pastor. And we are and experiencing joy. We're experiencing joy. <laughs> yeah. Um, we started a new series. Uh, what was the name of it again? Resilient Joy. Oh, Hayden. that's right. Yeah, okay. you made the artwork for it. You should know this. I, I am understanding your intro now. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. So we're... We're in a new series called Resilient Joy, which That's we'll right. be in for 10 weeks. Maybe um, 20. What? Maybe 20. You just never Maybe know how 20. long these things are going to go. You know? Honestly, you'd yeah. think we would know, but we don't. We're yeah. just going to figure out when to stop it when it feels right. We're exactly. going off vibes for this series. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll go through it twice. I don't, I don't see why not. People are bound to miss a couple weeks, so yeah. this is the only way to ensure... Yeah completion of the teaching so yeah Uh, um, we don't don't think we're joyful enough yet one more time here we go (laughs) let's go guys not enough smiles out there so let's let's run it back still a little too dour oh Mm -hmm. my gosh Um, arbor will not know what to do with itself (laughs) being in this elevated state yes yeah yep we want to we want to have some sort of crisis of what's what's going on um so resilient joy uh for people that don't know is going to be our our study of Philippians. We're going to go from beginning to end. Um, and Ryan, if you, you wouldn't mind talking about why did we decide to choose the name Resilient Joy when we're talking about the series studying Philippians? Um, well, I think, first of all, it's kind of a classic understanding of Paul's letter to the Philippians, that it's rooted in joy, that, that Paul is experiencing joy um, amidst like really dire, difficult circumstances. And so... Um, we, we look at Paul, we look at him as an example, and we look at what he's written to the Philippians, and we see um, this kind of this roadmap to joy. But like mm-hmm. I said, he's in prison, and there's a sense of resiliency about it. Uh, and so we put those two words together, and we got resilient joy. And that's the title of the series. Wow. Um, one of the things that I think we've joked around about as a staff when it comes to resilient joy is also the idea of something that we should be aware of, right? Toxic positivity. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't recall. Um, did you kind of talk about that in your message yesterday? No, but we can talk about it right now. Yeah. I think that's kind of important for us to address a little bit. Um, I'm assuming that we're all kind of up to speed on, uh, toxic positivity, but maybe Allison, do you want to take a stab at it for anyone who doesn't really know what we're talking about when we mention that? I think when people refer to toxic positivity, it seems like you're, um, rushing to the silver lining Mm -hmm. and you're rushing to put a bow on anything that's hard and you're wanting to wrap it up and just look for the positive thing like well you know at least they didn't suffer too long you know eight Mm -hmm. months with cancer that's pretty great you know and people are like wow (laughs) man or could you also say like cancer's hard yeah and like Mm -hmm. not have to rush to say oh it's only eight months that's great great Yeah. yeah, and it's like it's it's the 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 positive feeling is rooted in that um, silver lining reframing. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that's the that's the like that's the toxic part of that kind mm-hmm. of. Happiness. I think people are uncomfortable with pain, and they want to rush past it to make uh-huh. you feel better. The pain pain bearer. Yeah. Um, and but as a result, what you're doing is you're missing part of the experience of suffering. If all of you do is spray glitter all over mm-hmm. something. Um, you're not really addressing the human heart, yeah. you know, which has a spectrum of feeling in it. Mm-hmm. It's not all just glitter. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's an important um, thing to talk about given our church's history and context. Of, we have never been 
afraid to dive into grief or sadness or just hard issues. Um, but when we talk about something like resilient joy, it is, it is something to have some context of, of, you know, we should have resilient joy. This is how we go about it. This is an example of it. Um, but also there is, there is the air of if we don't do things right, this is how things can, can look and, and manifest. So, um, I think we should just hop into the message. I thought one of the things um, that kind of came to mind when I was putting the slides together on Saturday was you had quite a few quotes from um, different authors and books. And I um, really appreciated, I'm trying to find it in your manuscript right here, but I mean, the opening quote was really, really good. And I thought it was a good, um, I think it was a good framework to, to kind of lay out the opening message when you talked about languish and languishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of wanted to just ask, where did you find some of these quotes from these, these different authors that you brought in? So, um, Adam Grant, that was an article he wrote in the New York times. It's actually based on a study that was done 20 years ago in, uh, 2002 on the concept of languishing. Uh, and so in the mental health world, um, the continuum I think is more languishing to flourishing mm-hmm. and it puts a different word to that kind of stuckness or malaise yeah. that people feel. And so that was uh, that was a New York Times article. I think it came out in April of 2021. Uh, and yeah. Adam Grant is an uh, organizational psychologist, um, kind of dabbles in that pop, yeah. pop psychology world. You know, you follow him on Instagram. He has a lot of great, like, you know, here's how to have a healthy organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd been listening to his podcast uh, for a while and came across that article. I think I follow him on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, there's a quote from a theologian uh, in a commentary, Anthony Lee Ash. Yep. He's a theologian and Bible scholar. And then the J.R. Tolkien one was, I think, uh, a search on joy quotes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was, that's not from any of his, like, um, Lord of the Rings yeah. series. It's like a letter or something that he wrote. Well, that quote from J.R. Tolkien reminded me of um, one of my favorite worship song lyrics is uh, a song by John McMillan, and he says, there's a cup of joy for every taste of sorrow. Mm. Um, And I thought that was like very similar points being made right there. But um, yeah, you started out with with those three big quotes that I thought kind of set the framework of um, contrasting joy with grief or sorrow or pain or languishing right Mm -hmm. um which i thought was i think a really good way to kind of um not send us down that route of toxic positivity and and show okay these are these are different things and using it with a backdrop of you know the opposite of joy if you'll Mm -hmm. if you might say so i thought that it was nice to just kind of build that foundation say we're not going to be um oblivious to pain and sorrow. We're not just going to say, let's be happy and avoid, um, feelings. And then we got to kind of hop into the beginning of Philippians, which we had talked about on staff. Um, even we were talking about reading scripture from the stage of like, is it important for us to start out with the preamble? Like, can we just skip into verse three, which I think you showed the importance of not skipping through that. If you want to talk more on, um, the importance you found in the first couple verses of Philippians. Yeah, totally. I'll back up a little bit and just say, you know, as we wrap up the toxic positivity mm-hmm. conversation. I think the idea there um, at the very beginning, at the very outset of this series is that joy can exist concurrently with pain. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think what people can attest to is some of our most, um, like uh, some of our deepest experiences with joy are in those moments of sorrow. 
and peace or mm-hmm. sorrow and like grief. Um, yeah. I think that there it's, it's rooted in something different. Uh, that's what I really liked about that Anthony, Anthony Lee Ash quote is that it's not about a mood. We're not talking mm-hmm. about joy isn't in like the spectrum of like, like sorrow and sadness and happiness. And it's what Paul is getting at when he talks about joy. It's something deeper. It's like this abiding sense of, um, wellness and maybe you could say shalom that sense of Mm -hmm. peace that leads to flourishing even amidst like highly highly difficult circumstances and so it's 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 to me something of a of a mystery still as Mm -hmm. to how that can be the case because in my mind it's like you when when good things are happening you feel good and when bad things are are happening you feel bad and i do think that's true Mm -hmm. but i think undergirding all of that what we see in um in the scriptures is like this deeper abiding sense of mm-hmm. of joy of wellness in the lord regardless of what's happening circumstantially um but to then you know go into those first two verses um what was your question again <laughs> well i just wanted to go back to that uh yeah. that anthony lee ash quote real fast because i i really enjoyed the line emotional fluctuations do not trouble this source of joy exactly yeah uh, that's, because that's that joy is grounded in something deeper mm-hmm um, but I just wanted to to uh, going back to the <laughs> the, the original question. Um, we had talked on staff about like should we just jump right into it at verse oh, yeah. three, um, and then we kind of talked about is there something to be taught or learned from um, the first couple verses? And you had actually spent a decent amount of time of that in your message of talking about um, the introduction. So um, for people that maybe weren't there on Sunday, what, mm-hmm. do, what were some of the insights that you found in those first couple verses? Primarily you talked about uh, Paul identifying himself as a slave. Yeah. Yeah. And those first couple of verses, um, you know, again, like you, you think like, well, I'll skip over them. There's nothing really too important mm-hmm. going on here. But what we have to remember is um, everything in these letters is like very intentional. And so there's a reason why, um, Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that like introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like not to like overly spiritualize it, like Paul was a smart guy. And like he's writing his letter and he knows what he's doing when he's framing up his conversation. Um, not just like IQ intelligent, but like EQ intelligent. He knew the situation he was writing from, writing to. And so he, he knew what would be appropriate in that moment. Um, and so in those first couple of verses, instead of, um, you know, introducing himself, well, not really introducing himself, like the, most of the people would have known him, yeah. but like labeling himself as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ called by the will of God, like what we see in Corinthians, uh, he just says slave. And so like, mm-hmm. you have to ask yourself the question, Paul, this like prolific writer letter and uh, pastor of churches and planter of churches, mm-hmm. why would he choose that? title Mm -hmm. for this letter and it's i mean you just find once you start to like go down a trail like that and you start reading all these other books about philippians like there's a reason Mm -hmm. there's a reason for that and it's because paul is setting himself up as this model or example and we see it in philippians 3 17 he says follow my example as i follow after christ okay well then paul what's important about this identity as a slave or a servant or bond servant or whatever your translation says doulos in the original Greek. Mm. Yeah. Um, so after you got into that in the message, you then kind of brought up the first question that um, was kind of, I, I don't want to say frame or structure of it, but you said, what is my posture? And mm-hmm. you got into the um, kind of talking about that. When did, 
when did that language come in when you were putting together the sermon? Was that pretty early on or was that later in the sermon development process? Well, you know, what we're doing now is the Tuesday, um, about, I don't know how many days out that is, like 12 days out yeah. now, 12 days out from the, the Sunday it'll be preached. Um, we meet uh, as a staff uh, on Tuesday afternoons to, to talk through the passage, to mm-hmm. um, make some observations. And it was there that we kind of started to flesh out, yeah. um, you know, what Paul is getting at here is um, kind of this posture idea of like, what, you're, we're asking ourselves the question, mm-hmm. why, why is Paul experiencing this joy? Yeah. And so you're like trying to make these observations about him and you're, you're sort of seeing here, well, here's this first thing, like his heart's posture amidst trial and amidst suffering. And where do we see that? Well, we see that in him expressing himself as, as a slave, not, not like mm. church planter or, you know, former uh, Torah scholar or anything like that. Like that's, that's his identity. And so, you know, then we ask ourselves the question, how, how can we experience that joy as well. Well, in this posture thing, like we have to ask ourselves, maybe I'm not experiencing the the kind of joy that the Lord has on offer for me mm-hmm. because the posture of my heart is all jacked up. Yeah. Mm. You had, uh, after the um, posture of our hearts, you'd moved into the idea of self-importance and the relationship mm-hmm. self-importance has to yeah. our joy and our resilient joy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious because I was... I believe I was a part of this Tuesday sermon. I might have been late to this one, um, to that meeting, but I I don't remember the self-importance conversation making its way in, at least when I was there for the meeting. Um, when did that relationship develop in the study of the text of, okay, self-importance kind of does combat our, our joy? Yeah, I mean, did we talk about that at all in that sermon? I don't think planning? we talked about okay. it in that whiteboard. Yeah. Uh, it was more posture perspective and yeah. promises yeah. or something. Sure. I was yeah. trying to go after those P's. Yeah. Cause I think that it, it really like after looking through the manuscript, putting the slides together, hearing it on Sunday, it does really connect of, yeah. If, if you have this overinflated sense of self importance, it does definitely mm-hmm. combat your, your joy. So when did that make its way into the, the process? Oh, I think in, in the process of writing a message, um, you ask yourself like, Okay, here's here's what's being put forward. Mm-hmm. What's preventing me from experiencing mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't think it's it's not like a a big brain move or anything. It's just mm-hmm. more like a okay, this is what's being pre- presented. What's the opposite of that? You yeah. know. And in my mind, it was self importance, or mm-hmm. it was what's what's the opposite of someone who has this like humble attitude yeah. of service and submission? Mm-hmm. It's someone who's self important. Yeah. And so, um, are there other things that prevent us from experiencing like that posture of of servanthood? Probably, I think so. Mm. Uh, but just to call out one aspect of mm-hmm. our hearts, yeah, um, that idea of self-importance, mm. I think was the thing that kind of rose to the top. Mm. And I think we even forecasted we're going to be hearing much more about throughout the rest of the book. We're going to be hearing much more about posture and perspective mm-hmm. as yeah. we go forward. So I, I, I hope that it will become language that's so familiar to us and so internalized that when we have a lack of resilient joy in our lives, we're able to like harken back to this series yeah. and mm-hmm. go, oh yeah, right. What is my posture? Am I mm-hmm. self-important? Am I, you know, not grateful? Am I, mm-hmm. you know, 
whatever, like there could be a checklist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm always going after sort of that formulaic, like give me the formula for joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though there is so much mystery associated Mm -hmm. with it, like you said. Um, I do think there are some things that we can do to set ourselves up for the best environment possible for joy to enter. Oh, Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and that kind of leads into the next um, point of what is my perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, we go from posture and self-importance and and the and how we look at things, or not necessarily look at things, but how we set ourselves up to experience things. And now it's the visual, right? The perspective. How do I see things? Mm-hmm. Um, this was one of the things that had came from the Tuesday meeting perspective, correct? Okay. Oh yeah. Um, and I thought it was interesting because right after perspective is where you get into um, the pink pink elephant, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, um, that was a really – it was – one, it was fun. It was a fun analogy or mm-hmm. a, exercise to do, but it, it was um, also very insightful, right, to have that. All right, I want you guys to close your eyes, think – you told them not to think about a pink elephant, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Don't think about the pink elephant – don't do this. And then revealing to everybody, like when that is your perspective in the, the environment that you're in, that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I've been, go ahead. Did I just hear? Oh, sorry. I think I heard something. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. turning a page and I thought I heard one of you guys talk. Um, I'm just curious when we're talking about perspective, one of the things you said, a way of life that fixes it's focus on our partnership with others of Jesus and promises of God, not just our problems. Mm-hmm. Um, really easy to say, but very difficult to do in practice, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that was the idea was, again, you know, as you're, as I'm trying to think through, like, writing this message, um, I'm honestly just asking myself, the questions yeah. like I'm not trying to think through like well what do people struggle with you know yeah. I'm, I'm honestly just thinking like <laughs> yeah I'm looking in the mirror yeah I love yeah um, I'm just like I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like like oh yeah like h- how do I make that switch mm-hmm. how do I make that shift and where are my hang-ups and where are mm-hmm. my struggles in shifting my perspective because I would say I am a glasses probably half empty kind of person maybe I don't present like that but like I'm always not always I don't want to use 100% word um, but like I frequently look at the, the situation and I'm like what could go wrong here you know or like what is wrong like th- that kind of critic or like kind of worried about what could go wrong and so when you're what we see again so the, those words that you just read were again like drawn from the text or the ideas drawn from the text that what Paul is focused on is Paul's focused on um, the his partnership with the Philippians like that's bringing him great joy and the promises of God Philippians 1 6 he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus and so like but then again you have that question like how's he why is he looking at those things and why are those the things that are like driving him whereas like me in my life like I'm focusing on my problems. I'm focusing on these things. Well, Ryan, stop. Stop focusing on those problems. And then, like, the more you, like, tell yourself to stop focusing on those problems, you're, like, then you're feeling bad about, like, focusing on the problems. And then you're, like, well, now stop feeling bad about. Yeah. And it's just kind of, like, this death spiral. And so it's, like, well, what what's the key? Um, and my, it, it's, my, my eyes were then drawn to, like, Paul's heart of gratitude. And I, I think it's, it's, pretty well known that gratitude is a driving force for joy. Um, and so, but we, and, and you see it though there 
in 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 Philippians. Like Paul's like, he starts in verse three, like I give thanks for you every time you come to mind and I pray for you. And so clearly there's some secret sauce there, right? Like gratitude, like how, how can I be more grateful? And perhaps that's the beginning of the perspective shift. I don't think it's the full thing. Like Allison was saying, I think all of chapter one is about perspective. And we'll see that in this coming week in verses 12 through 17, 18, we see it, you know, majorly in 18 through 30, uh, that, that Paul, Paul just has this way of uh, divine perspective. He, he doesn't see things the way we would see things from our own human perspective. He sees them the way God would see them. And so, but I think it starts with gratitude, but there's more to it, I think, as well. I think people who practice gratitude, it's a, it's a discipline, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so people who practice that discipline report back on increased satisfaction with their lives and uh, their perspective is changed forever once they start that practice oh, totally. of, of seeing it through God's eyes best as, as they can. And obviously there's a work of the Holy Spirit involved with that in terms of revelation of his perspective to you. Um, but I can think of I can think of my mom. She was an example of gratitude. She kept a uh, gratitude journal and it retrained the way that she saw her day, uh, retrained the way that she would see encounters throughout the day. And um, some of the things that just occurred, you know, she learned to flip it in the moment instead of just at the end of the day when she was recounting her day and then trying to be grateful for those things. She was able then, the discipline of gratitude shaped her in a way that in the moment she was able to then kind of see it through God's eyes. And it wasn't in a toxic positivity kind of way. She was a very real woman too. So, um, but I, I long for that. You know, not just at the end of the day when you're doing like your prayer of examine or your grateful list as you're falling asleep and trying to like tame the anxiety monster, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but um, more like in the moment, like mm-hmm. being grateful every, every hour of the day. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. I mean, you're right when you say it's a discipline. It is a discipline of gratitude. And I think that's an important thing in this pursuit of joy is that it really is a choice. It is a choice. It's not some sort of circumstantial thing that you happen upon. It's a choice, and that that choice to be grateful. And I think what it says about, um, I think what it, it communicates is it communicates a reality or a truth about God, that there are things to be grateful for, because our God is a good God who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And he is not so like stingy and like trying to like make our lives miserable and awful. And like, yeah, like, do we live in a, like a broken world where we experience hardship um, yeah. and not even like major things, but just like, oh, the day's getting long and I'm tired. And like, um, why do I have to wake up every day and, and work and, and go to this job? Um, again, I don't think there's like, I don't think we're reframing that to be like toxically positive. But I think there's so much about it that we can still be grateful for um, and acknowledge in a way that's like truly holy. And it's a discipline. And I think what it communicates is, is a faith in a good God who, as Paul said, like he's, he's the one who started the work. He didn't make a mistake. Um, he's going he's gonna to complete it. Uh, but it's a choice. It's a, it's, a, it's a choice. And I think that's, it's like the first choice we have to make. Mm-hmm. That section was one of my favorite parts of your message yesterday, uh, on Sunday. <laughs> um, where you talked about uh, his his uh, 
desire for them or his reminder for them mm-hmm. was written in a different font as as how you described it. it yeah. And I forget, was it just the grammar of that sentence construction yeah. at that so point? Yeah, so do we want to nerd out real quick in, yeah. in Greek, I like Greek language yeah. real quick? So um, we um, English language is called a, a subject-verb-object language, and so our word order is tremendously important. We can identify the subject uh, in a sentence um, be by order. So like, like Ryan threw the ball, right? Like... That's a subject, a verb, and an object. Um, in, in the Greek language, it's totally different. It's not a SVO language, as they call it. It's based on case. So you can put the words, all that to say, you can put the words in different order. And so that word order matters frequently when you're looking at a sentence. And so he starts the sentence with the verb. Or it's actually a participle. But he starts it with that. And so, like, not only that, but it's the... It's the um, Pepoithos is the is the verb. It's yeah, I was gonna say that. Were you gonna yeah. say that too? Mm-hmm. That was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the and when when he front loads the sentence with that, it it indicates like having or or being convinced. Um, when that is at the front end, it's like it it's like something important is happening here. It is like a signifier, and it's essentially like if a if like a preacher is like saying like, okay, listen up, like it's it's like a it's a device to kind of get their attention because we have to remember these letters were being read over you know a congregation you know that local church and so when the letter reader would have been reading it and they would have hit that there probably would have been like special emphasis on that word and then they would have gotten the that promise that really important promise in verse six that paul was like front loading the letter with so that they would know in the moment so that's a little greek nerd out yeah right and it's such a beautiful thing to emphasize to a congregation right like you think of somebody's words from prison he's thinking i don't know this could be my last letter to you here's the thing i really want you to take away Mm -hmm. and know for you know forever the rest of your life know this thing Mm. yes just love that yeah yeah like like the closing of Paul's life, we're coming to the close of the podcast. Um, any that's just flown by. <laughs> yeah, amazing you know? segue. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else we should uh, we should chat about before we close things out? We're in the we're in the prison element of our uh, our podcast. The podcast. Right now. <laughs> any final questions or thoughts, Allison? Oh, let's see. Well, shout out to Knowledge of the Holy. Oh, yeah. Great book. That was a great book. I was excited to hear you reference it. Yeah, I would say if 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 you're listening uh, at the end of this podcast now and you've like, you're like, what book should I read right now? You know, one of the questions that I asked in the message was, you know, when you think of God, like what comes to mind? Uh, the Knowledge of the Holy is like, it's really small. The chapters are like a page and a half to three pages each. Um, A.W. Tozer. And it just does such a good job of like distilling the attributes and nature of God in a way where I think it just inspires worship and inspires faith in who God is because we think we understand who God is, especially if we've been walking with Jesus for any length of time. And so like a practical step of application out of this is if you're like, man, like I just really want to delight in the presence of God, but he feels far away or I don't know where he's at. Pick up that book um, and you could honestly like sit down and read it in one setting or like really soak it in like day by day, just kind of read an attribute a day and your, your socks will be totally blown off. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. I love that book. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And if you're looking for another book to read, we as a church are reading through Philippians. Yes. We have these bookmarks. Yeah. yeah. And one last, yeah, we have those bookmarks that we mm-hmm. handed out. And if you ended up grabbing one of those bookmarks and you were like, 
what is this bookmark for? Um, we want to read through Philippians together as a, um, as a church. And so each and every week, uh, we're going to read through the passage that was taught on that Sunday. And you're probably wondering, you know, the three checkboxes. Do I read it three times a day? I thought do those I were just squares. It? Do I read What's that? I just thought they were squares. Thanks for telling me they're yeah, checkboxes. Or, or, yeah, or are they just sort of decorative? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do I read three times an hour? Yeah. Um, no, uh, read, you know, the aim was to read it three times a week. You know, mm-hmm. the, whatever the passage was, just yeah. read it three times a week so we can really um, be reading this together yep. and um, not just kind of encountering it for a brief 30 minutes on mm-hmm. Sunday morning, but really be ministered to by God's word throughout the week. Avant-garde teaching, you know? Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, anything else before we uh, we close the podcast out? Nope. All right. That's it. Well, thank you guys for listening and watching the follow-up podcast. We hope to see you guys for week two of Resilient Joy and make sure to read. And uh, thank you guys so much. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>